Hi, everyone. Well, what a way to start, eh? Hello, and welcome to Something Real. Real beheadings. <laughs> the home of professional podcasts. <laughs> the home of professional beheadings. The podcast that <laughs> seeks to connect the reality of God to the realities of life. And life has beheadings. Yes, and Stacy, it's flannel weather. Fall oh, has finally arrived. Sweet, I know you're excited. Sweet flannel weather. Fall is here. And it's, it's made thing. its presence the known. first day of fall hit us with some fall weather. It was nice. You know, it was just a moment or two ago, we were starting to wonder if fall was ever coming because it just kept... It know, really, like... Getting through September, and it goes back up to 90, and, and you know, gross. that's not normal September weather in Michigan, but it's not Sometimes. super uncommon, but it's not what we would consider to be September weather, and so... The moment September hits, I'm in fall mode. Yeah, and, and it was cool on September 1st, mm-hmm. and then it went back up into the 80s pretty pretty consistently for the month, and that's been... It took a measure of, if you will, faith to remember that the cool weather was coming and that fall was on the way. So Combined with impatience. Well, that's... Doesn't that, that usually how it, it goes? It's funny because impatience is, is the enemy of faith, isn't it? It, it is and, true. And we continue to, to deal with that. So... Um, as we're, that was a great segue. As we're wrestling through uh, the issues that we face in life, uh, it, it's easy for us to... And you and I have talked about this on a personal level you know, for years. Don't talk about my personal life. <laughs> it's, uh, it's what we have the podcast for us, to talk, <laughs> to about, talk about your, all my personal, your personal life. <laughs> <laughs> um, How long you got? <laughs> uh, but just the idea of allowing God to work on God's timeline rather than ours, you know? And so we get impatient. We want God to do my thing and do it now. And if he doesn't do it now, then we question whether it's ever going to happen. Is anything ever going to be different? Are we, you know, am I going to be stuck like this forever? Is the world going to continue to go down the toilet forever? And we We are called... We all have assault syndrome. Well, that's very, very true. You know, we, we have a... Just a desperate impatience that God, if he is who he says he is, and if he actually loves us, that he will give us everything we want when we want it. And that's just not valid. And, and it's also, it's a pretty good picture of why, um, or, or I guess better to say a confirmation of the validity of the family as a picture of our relationship with God and a tool for our discipleship. Mm-hmm. So not to go too far afield, but... Um, you know, when we see how God designed the entire universe with systems of submission and authority, uh, and and we see that in the way we're born and the way we're wired and the, the nuclear family and so many things that God has put together, the, the role of parents in raising their children to understand it's not about you. You don't get everything you want just because you want it and just at the time that you want it, and as a good parent, I cannot, I dare not give you everything you want, I or I will destroy you. I can't tell you how many times I've told my almost We're four-year-old all that. It's killing me. So there. Sorry, make everyone seasick. Okay. Good. It's closer. I just I can't take it. I was. I can't tell you how many times I've told my almost four year old that you know, mommy, but I want it. I said, well, you don't always get everything you want. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Life's That's not life, fair. kid. Get used to it. Life's and, tough. Get and a we do our children a, a, a disservice if we don't teach them that. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've heard folks say because we live in a prosperous land, you know, well, but I 
I can. I can afford it. I can right. give them things that I can afford to do because, you know, I'm better off than my parents were and, and so on. And I think on. it almost goes against our human nature because we want to give our kids right. the things that they want. And we want to shower them with those things. Well, that's right. But it's, you know. And when you see, like, wealthy parents, and there's a stereotype perhaps of the, the rich kid that's spoiled and gets everything that they want. But right. a, a responsible, wealthy parent recognizes, I'm not doing my children any kind of a service by this. And right. I, I remember uh, reading and hearing stories about um, how Rose Kennedy handled her children. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm not an expert in the Kennedys or anything, but I guess the story that I heard was that when they reached a certain age, she took John and Bobby and however other many bunch of kids they had, it, uh, took them like five miles from home and dropped them off, and they had to find their way home. You know, just because you had to... As a Kennedy, that's risky. You had to learn to, to fend for yourself, to be able to, to figure out how to do things. Kind of great luck. And so while they were people of wealth and privilege, they there was a responsibility that was taught to them. Mm. I can't vouch for the veracity of that. I just remember that story kind of standing out in my mind that that as a as a parent who has a bunch of stuff... It's easy to say, well, I just want to bless my kids. I want to give them all these things. But that's not how the Lord handles us. He owns everything. There's no blessing that he could not give us. And yet he withholds many things because that's what's in our best interest. And so anyway, I, I did get far afield, even though I didn't want to. That's in, what this is for. In, yeah, <laughs> in recognizing that um, there is so much that we that we have to wait for, that we have to be patient about and as we were talking about taking up the shield of faith um, in Ephesians, we've been uh, working through the, the armor of God. I guess I'm going to have to put my glasses on to read. But you know, as we've been working through the armor of God uh, in Ephesians 6.10, uh, Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is the, um, the superior NIV. Uh, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And we've talked about all of those things. Then he says in verse 16, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows, arrows of the evil one. And we'll talk about the other elements that come after that later, but uh, today we're going to focus on verse 16. In addition to all this, in addition to this armor we've already talked about, the truth, the righteousness, uh, the gospel of peace, the, the readiness that comes from that, take up the shield of faith. There's, there's a, an element of activity in that. You have to choose to take it up, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And so it's easy for us to focus on the flaming arrows and you know, all these other things, without really understanding faith. And there are so many misconceptions about what faith is. And um, so in our world, we often make it um, some hyper-spiritual, mystical kind of thing that uh, as if it's 
like a superpower. Some people right. are special, holy people, and they have more faith. And you know, uh, somebody said to my mom not long ago, you know, we just we need more people like you, people of faith who just who have so much faith. And it's not really about the amount of faith you have; it's about the object of that faith. Who are you putting your trust in? Who or what are you are you trusting in? And so, um, <laughs> I'm just reminded of. Obi-Wan telling Luke, trust your feelings. Well, that's a terrible idea. That's the worst to, to trust your feelings because feelings are a roller coaster. I mean, we're all wise enough, I would hope, if we're more than 12 to be able to recognize uh, my feelings can't be trusted. They, they well, are they're not all often based in reality. No, they're not. And they're a response to stimuli. And so when things go wrong in my life, my feelings are terrible. And when my feelings are terrible, it's easy for that to affect my thinking and my behavior. And so and we put such an emphasis on it these days, like how we important do, yeah. your feelings are and getting your feelings hurt or how do you feel? And I'm not saying feelings are a bad thing. No, I, but they're I not a, found, lots, they're not a foundation. Right. They're, they're not they're not a good um, a good regulator they're not a good uh, moderator or modifier of our behaviors and if we let our feelings drive you know it's same thing my daughter is is learning to drive she's about to get her permit and that's not possible i kind of right uh so i'm constantly aware of what i've told my other kids never let your emotions drive when you get behind the wheel if you're angry, you're going to drive faster and more erratically. If you're sad, you're going to be less focused. You, you need to take away that emotional, not that you're going to feel less of it, but you have to separate from that to be able to drive your car. Right. And the same thing is true in life. If our feelings, if our emotions drive, we are going to end up in the ditch. It's going right. to be a bad situation. I wrote an article one time, and I said it, one thing when I was researching it said uh, emotions demand to be felt, mm. but you choose then right. how to respond to those things. Absolutely. So, and we've talked a number of times about the reality that that pain makes us selfish. Right. You know what? Those things that we feel they demand to be felt. They they scream at us. If I hit my thumb with a hammer, I'm not thinking about the fine points of theology. I'm not thinking about how I can make the world a better place. I'm thinking, ow, you know, and probably in a very loud way. Um, because nothing else matters in the universe at that moment except for my throbbing thumb. And the same thing happens when we're talking about emotional uh, you know, pain, when, when we're going through whatever kind of misery. That's the only thing that matters. And, you know, if we can picture, a, you know, a, a teenager in love, nothing in the world matters. Everything is great and wonderful and glorious, superb on every level. And un- you're stupid. Until <laughs> then she dumps me. Right. And everything is horrible and miserable and there is no hope and life is over. That's, that's how far too many adults live our lives. Right. If... God isn't doing what I want, when I want it, right now, the way I expect it, so that I can see it. Well, obviously, the whole thing is just, it's a shambles. And I, I think I'm not alone in the number of people that I know who have decided, you know, I, I used to believe in God, but I prayed. He didn't give me what I prayed for. Therefore, I don't believe in God anymore, which is... A, illogical, B, not true, and C, very childish and selfish. So basically, because God didn't do everything that you want him to do, you're going to kick and scream and throw a fit and decide that he doesn't exist. 
even though you're still mad at him. Right. So you're, you're mad at you don't really not right. believe you actually hate him. Right. Because he didn't do what you wanted, so you pretend you don't believe. I feel like there's this misconception with some people that think God is some kind of like holy Santa Claus or something. It's right. just gonna you know bring yeah, bring you whatever you want. Well, I think the, those who teach the prosperity gospel, as it's called, it, it, you know. I think that's just endemic to it. Is this idea that God wants you to be happy? God wants you to be happy, and God's primary concern nowhere in Scripture is our happiness, our our pleasant circumstances. If that were the case, then Jesus, of all people, would be least favored by God, right. because a he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. B he died for us in this excruciating death when the Father forsook him. He was not interested in the happiness of Christ. If that were the case, then everything, if, if, if our faith hinged on God wanting us to be happy, then all of church history is a testimony to the evil of God, that God does not care about his people because he has allowed martyrs, he has allowed persecution. Therefore, by that logic, we, we should just throw the whole thing away. But if we actually read the scriptures and we see how God operates, rather than putting God in the box that we've created to decide that he, you know, that he operates on our schedule, on our timeline, uh, according to our purposes, if we see him as he is, according to the way he's revealed himself in scripture, then all of the difficulties, all of the hardships, all of the persecutions, the mysteries, the, the things that seem like paradoxes to us, they're all part of what he is doing, and I didn't. I didn't share from. There's a couple of passages I wanted to mention. First off, we we did spend some time Sunday in Hebrews 11, looking at at all of this what people call the Faith Hall of Fame or the Hall of Faith, all of these Old Testament saints who who trusted God and it was counted to them as righteousness but they did not see the culmination of what they had hoped for, and that chapter starts with a very well-known verse, maybe not well-known enough. Um, uh, Hebrews 11, one describes what faith is. It says that uh, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, or certain of what we hope for and sure of what we do not see. But the point of it being that it's looking forward with a hopeful expectation, with a certain expectation of something that right now the evidence doesn't support. Not that there isn't evidence, but the current present moment does not support that evidentially so as we're looking at, at how we trust god the idea of faith is not some magic power that we have it's a matter of remembering what is true even when the circumstances around us are conspiring to tell us that it's not true right. and so that that was actually kind of our uh, our core reality last week was that we overcome the enemy's attacks by knowing and choosing the truth of God's word. So when the devil gets after us with his flaming arrows of, of doubt and accusation and just being overwhelmed by life and all these other ways that he attacks us, um, we have to focus our minds, take our thoughts captive, as Paul says elsewhere, and force our thinking to line up with God's word, even when that doesn't seem like, it doesn't feel like in our emotions the right thing. Right. And at the end of the day, <clears throat> there's my scratchy throat again. Um, at the end of the day, it's hard to hear and it's hard to accept the fact that 
it's your choice. I mean, how to yeah. how to respond to that? That can be offensive for some people to hear when they're in the especially thick of it. when you're in the middle of it. Right. Yeah, it's, it's when you're a in tough the thick thing. of it, and you're feeling a lot of feelings, and you're just down, and you 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 feel like you've lost your faith. But right. Really, it's a choice that you make. And a, and a human-centered, secular-type worldview is going to tell us, as we so often hear, you should not tell people that because right. you just need to validate their feelings and you need to hear them, which I don't think matches the biblical worldview. Right. It doesn't seem like a very loving thing for me to validate your feelings when your feelings are invalid. They're, they're valid that you feel them, right? right? They are, no one's denying they, that they you are feel your a response, way, right. your, your very true and real response to your stimuli your circumstances that you're dealing with. But that doesn't mean that they reflect reality. Right. So if my feelings lead me to invalid thinking, not that the feelings aren't felt, but if it leads me to think thoughts that are not valid, that are not true, then my feelings are not going to reflect reality. Right. So if I, if I align my thoughts to the truth of God's word, which is really, I mean, that's the best definition of faith that I have, is to be able to align my thoughts to reality despite circumstances that's, that speak to the contrary. So if I'm aligning my thoughts to the truth of God's word, even when my feelings are telling me something else, then eventually my feelings are going to catch up with that, right. and they will begin to reflect more accurately what is real rather than what seems real in the moment. But if you let your feelings continue to take control, you're probably going to... It's probably going to snowball into something even worse. Absolutely. And, and, and whatever choice we make in that moment, we're going to feed those feelings. We're right. going to feed those perceptions. So if I choose to, to fill myself with truth, okay, I feel this way, but I know that that is not reflective of what God says in his word. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to remind myself of the scriptures that I've memorized, the sermons that I've listened to, the things that I've read in the Word, the, the conversations that I've had with my brothers and sisters about God's Word. And when I, I focus myself on that and I feed that to my own soul, I preach the gospel to myself, I'm reminding myself of truth, then as I fill up on that, I'm weakening those, right. those fears, those feelings that, that will dominate otherwise. If I give in to those things, if I choose to embrace those feelings, then I am weakening my, uh, my faith. I'm weakening my connection to the truth. Right. And we need to overcome that. So one of the things that the devil does to us a lot is to, to tell us that because of our suffering, we must be far from God. And God doesn't you know, he doesn't care, or we've displeased him. That was a prominent thing, even at the time of the New Testament, that Jesus had to address regularly in the Gospels, is that if things are going wrong, then clearly God has, has turned his back on you, right. and, and God shows his love through his blessing. Therefore, you get questions like, well, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus is like, man, you're asking the wrong questions. This happened so that God could receive the glory which is the ultimate goal of everything in the universe. Everything that has been created, everything that exists, is for the purpose of God's glory and his pleasure. So if we have that as our baseline to be able to think through the things that, that we're working through, then 
we have a different picture of God's purpose and a different picture of his love for us. Because the most loving thing that God can do for us is to cause us to glorify him. Right. If that's our purpose, that's what we're created for, and he is uh, the, the prime mover, the ultimate cause, then if, if that's what we exist for and what we need most, then anything that moves us closer to perfect glorification of God is the most loving thing that we can possibly have. Right. Which is exactly the same, to, to borrow from a, a practical human example, that is exactly the same as what our parents used to tell us when we would be punished or spanked, when they'd say, this hurts me more than it hurts you, this is for your own good. If, if I am a loving parent, then I recognize that sometimes I must deliberately inflict pain upon my child. Now that sounds horrible and abusive. But the reality is I'm doing this to shape them, not to hurt them, not to harm them, but to keep them from greater, more significant harm later and to cause them to prosper in their souls. So God does that same thing for us. And uh, a passage that was was listed in the program Sunday, I think, but I I didn't uh, share it, is from Romans 5. And uh, it's the first 11 verses of Romans 5 just it's like a slap in the face to me so often when I get caught up in feelings and start to lose perspective, right? And remembering, again, uh, a little biblical theology, looking at the whole counsel of God. Right. When we look at Hebrews 11.1, 1, that A, faith is, the, is, is being certain of what we hope for, sure of what we don't see. And Hebrews 11.6, without faith, without that certainty of, of trusting beyond the circumstances, without that, it's impossible to please God because mm-hmm. he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So if we keep that in the background of our minds as we read Romans 5, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, there's that, that word again, not magic, but in aligning our thoughts to truth, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So far, it's good, right? It's it's grace that we take hold of by faith. We gain access to the grace through through our trusting of it. And there's rejoicing. And there's rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. We don't see that full glory yet. That's coming. But we know that it's coming. We trust it. And and this is a joyful, glorious thing. Right. But then he he, he kind of flips the script on us with verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Hope, again, biblically being, the, this, especially in the New Testament, it's this picture of a, uh, of a, uh, a hopeful expectation of a certain thing that we have not yet experienced. So we know that this is coming. We know that the glory of God is coming. And, and so as we are suffering, it develops in us the perseverance, character, and hope that allows us to, to live by faith. Verse 5, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's so central to the gospel. We have to remember that he didn't die for us because we were good church people, you know, because we were seeking him, because we wanted him. 
He died for the ungodly. That's all of us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now before we continue, remember this is coming after he says we've been justified through faith, right? And we have peace with God through whom, through, you know, through Jesus Christ, we've gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in our sufferings because they're developing in us what we need to be. Now, Christ died for sinners. And he picks up verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, now we're not enemies, we're his children, according to Ephesians 1, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And then he, he talks about it again in, in Romans 8, same kind of an idea. Um, when he's it's talking about our, our present sufferings, verse 18, are not worth con comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And he talks about creation itself waiting for what, uh, for what is coming. And then in, uh, in verse 23, he says, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is the consummation of what right. has already taken place spiritually and legally as God has declared us his, his children in that final finishing of the work that, that we're waiting for uh, when he completes it. We, we are eagerly awaiting that. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen, there's no hope at all. Again, it's that eager expectation of a certain thing. So if, if it happens, there's no, it's not faith anymore. I'm not hoping right, for it. Right. Um, once I open the gift, it's sight now. It's in front of me. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So again, we see this connection between faith and patience. Mm -hmm. I don't see it yet, and yet I know it's true. I will cling to it even when I'm not feeling it. Uh, it and you know, that's the kind of, that kind of faith is the foundation for everything that we do as believers. Right. It's the it's the foundation for our hope for a, a good marriage when when marriage is falling apart. When you know, I, I love my spouse because I choose to love my spouse even when they're unlovable. That's the First Corinthians thirteen picture that we have of the love of Christ. And I feel like this is never going to change. It's never going to get better, right? But when I trust in God to do what God's going to do. I, the, it frees me to, then to be able to do the obedient thing, whatever that obedient thing is, to share the gospel with my friends, to, to discipline my children, to hold on when things uh, seem to be falling apart, whatever it is. If we hope for what we do not yet have, we're trusting that God's going to deliver the best thing, then we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and he speaks about the, the praying that, that happens there. And we know the, uh, the Romans 8.28, we know that all things uh, God works for the good for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And people quote it and they abuse it and so on. But it's the foundation of all of this right. is that we can cling to this hope because whatever is happening, 
if God loves us enough to send his son to die for us, and he is operating in his sovereign way that is always working whatever thing is happening, however terrible it is, for the ultimate good of those who love him and the ultimate glory of his own name, then I can rest in that. I can trust in that. That doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean that right. my feelings are not going to keep screaming at right. me. But the more I choose truth-aligned thinking over circumstance-driven feelings, then the stronger the faith becomes, the stronger the thinking becomes, and the weaker the feelings become. But I'm able to hold on to that because I know that God always is doing that thing that, that, that is working this out. And what do you think? What do you, what do you think triggers faith? Like, what's coming to my mind? Maybe let's make it clear because it's probably a dumb question. Let's say that you are scared of something. Maybe mm -hmm. you get a cancer diagnosis, or, or you're about to go bankrupt, or whatever. You're scared of a major life thing that's about sure. to happen to you. So <clears throat> you fall to your knees and you turn to God. Maybe you were you considered yourself a Christian before, maybe you didn't, but you got nowhere else to go. Mm -hmm. So you ask God to save you, which you should. But is that then an act of faith or is it just I'm scared I'm just going to try this and to feel some kind of comfort. Is I guess I'm asking like, and obviously you don't know people's hearts, but is that a genuine approach to developing faith? Because I guess it, it doesn't feel like it's a it's a light bulb thing that happens instantly, like one minute, you now whatever, and the next minute, yeah, I've got faith that this is going to happen. Yeah, I. It's probably I've a roundabout way of getting there, but I've noticed that when I go into my study. I have to turn the switch on for the light to come on. Mm -hmm. And then it goes off and I have to flip it on again when I come back in. Right. Faith is a little bit like that. I think there are a lot of light bulbs that come on and go off and but come on and go off. And, and very often I'm that, switching them off. Oh, right. You know? But wouldn't you also say that, like let's say there's a dimmer switch and it yeah. gets a little brighter sure. every time? <laughs> yeah, or a power rather, surge. Right, and, you know, rather than just things. like turning it off and on cold turkey and yeah. just, you know, being going to extremes, I sure. guess. Sure, and obviously all of our analogies break right. down over time. But, you know, as we look at it, I think there are a few different things we need to consider. First off, actual faith, in particular saving faith, is triggered by the Holy Spirit. We're mm -hmm. incapable of it in ourselves because our sinful hearts don't submit to God. They're not capable of submitting to God. We're actually hostile to God. Even if we are religious, until the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and takes hold of our hearts, takes out our stone heart, puts in a flesh heart, we are, by our very nature, our sinful nature, hostile to God. And, and unwilling and unable to become willing to submit. So the Holy Spirit prompts that. At the same time, and along with that, I, you know, I probably can't say it really as effectively as I would like to. I should probably work on that if I'm going to be a pastor. But um, it is simultaneously, and I don't mean that as far as chronological order. I don't know how that works. But, but it is at once the Holy Spirit 
prompting that faith in us, giving us that, that faith. We see in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that it's, we're saved by grace through faith, right. but the faith is still a gift of God. Right. So <clears throat> it comes from God. We don't come to God unless we're drawn by God. But at the same time, there's a choice involved. I have to, I have to decide that I'm going to put my faith in him, which he enables me to do, and so on. So whether we're talking about God or any other situation, there is a philosophical reality that when I cry out in fear or desperation or whatever else, at least in that moment, I am putting my faith in whatever I cry out to. Or you wouldn't do it to be Or I wouldn't do it, right. I'm sitting in this chair because I have faith that this chair is holding me up. Right. So there is a decision that goes along with that. Some of it is a... Um, not so much a conscious decision as a response. I don't think about whether the chair is going to hold me up because right. I sit in the chair all the time. Well, but some might argue if you're if you're going that route, like if you're just crying out for because you're sad or in pain or fearful or whatever, that it's not necessarily genuine. It's just you're scared and you're looking for sure. something. It, well, it doesn't so, have to be. Just the same as as grief over my sin can be either a grief that leads to repentance or a grief that is. I'm sad that my circumstances are bad because of it. But if that's the case, then are you still, because God says, or, or Jesus says, all, all who come to me will not be turned away, right? Right. All, and so if you're doing that. <laughs> are you actually coming Are you to actually me? doing it? Yeah. Or, or are you just doing it out of an emotion? Yeah, I think that is something that. And obviously you don't know from individual to individual, but. Right, but the Lord does. The Lord right. knows those right. who are his. And so if. If we are crying out to God, there is a reason that we think he is the one to cry out to. Right. So I'm saying, is that then the Holy Spirit? So can we assume that everyone who does, no matter their circumstances, is being moved by the Holy Spirit? I think I, I think I want to be very careful about how I say that. That doesn't mean that everyone who cries out, Lord, save me, actually means, Lord, save me. That's what I'm asking, right? It may very well be that... They're crying out to the this nebulous idea of the universe, mm. but they've heard people say, uh, talk about the Lord, right. and so they're crying out to to the Lord, but not on His terms, not understanding who He is. And so, very often, if it's the Holy Spirit that is moving us to that, and we have not yet come to a place where the, where we've grasped that, He doesn't stop. Right. He, he finishes what He starts. So if he has prompted us in some way, sparked faith in us to the extent to which we are actually seeking God, because none of us seeks God on our own. Mm -hmm. If we're actually seeking God on his terms, not a God that I create in my own mind, that comes from the Holy Spirit always, inevitably, and we can't avoid that. If I don't respond to that, then he's not done with me yet. Mm. So just because... I begin this journey with less than that with less than truthful faith. I'll, I'll say it that way. Uh, I, I don't know if that's the best way, but that's how I'm going to say it. With faith that is not rooted in the truth of God's word. Maybe I don't understand, you know, what it means yet, but it's begun this journey. I've put my feet to the path, and I and I want Him. That will become evident because I will continue to pursue him. I'll mm -hmm. continue to pursue the knowledge of him. And if I don't, well, then that's 
pretty good evidence that I wasn't, I, I want to avoid the word sincere because I think it's overused and misleading. I, I think that would be a pretty clear indicator if I don't remain in the path that I was not actually converted in my heart right. and in my soul. Right. I wasn't actually convinced of the truth of who Jesus is and my need for him, developing a love for him. Uh, and so many will cry out, you know, just like Jesus said, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy right. and right. do all these things in your name? And, he'll and he'll say, say, get away I, I didn't from know you. Right. Well, that's how, terrifying, by the way. And it, and it ought to be. I right. think that's intentional. But it doesn't have to be when we recognize that my, my using him as a rabbit's foot mm. is not something that happens accidentally. I don't not know that I'm doing that. I, I don't not know that I bring him out when I need him and put him away when I don't. So if I'm pursuing an ongoing, growing discipleship, if I'm, if I'm seeking to know him more and love him more and express that by loving others more, well, then I can have confidence right. that, that I am walking in him. If I am not doing those things, then I'm going to lack that confidence I'm, I'm going to not feel as as sure that I've done the right thing. And then the devil's going to play games with our minds and, and shoot those flaming arrows of doubt to, of our, about right. our own but salvation. But at the same time, how much more do we go to God when things are not going well in our lives? Absolutely. When things are going yeah. great, I'm totally guilty. I don't read my Bible as much. I don't pray as much. I don't do what I'm supposed yeah. to do as much. But when things are, are hard, oh boy. I think we have a tendency to want things to be cut and dried, black and white, and that's not really going to be our lot in this life. It, 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 it's not that they're not. It's just that we're not able to perceive them rightly. Mm. So God always knows. I mean, he knew before I was born what, whether I was going to receive him or not. He's determined these things. So that's a reality that I can't perceive right. until I'm in it, right? And so we want to, to think, well, I have good motives or bad motives when the reality is it's usually a mixture mm -hmm. you know I, I am simultaneously saint and sinner right right uh, and so you're a human being right exactly <laughs> this is this is really important and that was a, a crucial um, uh, doctrine of the reformation and understanding uh, that you know luther used to talk about that that, that i'm at once the this holy one of god saved by his grace and being sanctified but at the same time i remain a sinner in my practice i still as paul says in romans 7 i still carry around this body of death with me and so uh, i know that it no longer defines me because i'm defined by christ right and yet i still find myself drawn to it stumbling yeah. into it often unfortunately willfully choosing it you know that, that it makes no sense and right. yet we do it right <clears throat> and that was why David in Psalm 19 said, you know, who can who can know their their hidden faults? Mm -hmm. You know, and so Lord, deal with my hidden faults, the things I don't know I'm doing. But he also prayed, Lord, save me from willful sins, that they might not rule over me. Because even as one who follows God, very often I do exactly the thing that I know is wrong or I fail to do or more specifically, although we don't usually say this, refuse to do the thing that I know is right, that I should do. I need to love this person. But 
they're just so unpleasant. I, you know, they've, they've hurt me in the past, and I just don't want to forgive. You know, and, and I'll spin it lots of different ways, but really, I'm justifying in my mind the right. fact that I don't need to forgive them. Right. Or I'll tell myself, well, I forgive them, but I won't forget, you know, which is exactly the opposite right. of what we're told is, is the way that God forgives us in Christ. Right. But we as Christ followers are required to follow that example, to love others the way Christ loved us. So that presents a problem. If, if we're going to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, uh, then we can't have those things in our lives. And yet we do. So we're stuck in this now and not yet situation, simultaneously saint and sinner. And we're going to require the grace of God all the time. And this is why taking up the shield of faith, when the devil attacks us, when he accuses our minds, when he brings the, the fears and the doubts and the worries about our circumstances, about our salvation, about all the what-ifs that could happen in life, you know, you know, I, I don't know where my child is at this moment, any number of things could be happening. And as a parent, you know, you know it, your child is increasingly ambulatory as yes. he gets older and you have less and less control. Just wait till he's grown and married and has kids of his own. And you're like, I don't know what to do right now. And I don't control these things. Right. That That's tough. And the devil's going to wreck your mind if you let him. So I have to remind myself of the truth. Right. I need to cling to God's word even when it doesn't feel like it's possible because the devil's attacking me with these flaming arrows. But when I choose God's word and I remember that and I, and I focus in, I take my thoughts captive to align my thinking with the truth of his word, then my feelings eventually, not immediately, it's not an automatic here, do this and the, the right. light bulb thing, right. just pow and we get it. Increasingly over time, then my feelings begin to align with reality as I consistently choose the truth of God's word over my feelings in the circumstances. Okay, we will stop there for today. Uh, unless you have any closing thoughts. I have lots and lots, but besides, we'll never get done. Besides all I, of those. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we will stop there and we'll try to be on time next week. <laughs> we have scheduling issues. Yes. Um, we're but, sorry we're a little late in the week. A little but, late. But so be it. So be it. It's as good as it's going to get. As good as it's going to uh, get. Thank we you are guys. the home of professional podcasting. Thank you guys for listening. If you want to leave us a comment or a question, uh, you can send us an email at somethingreal@reallifeonline.org or leave us a comment on Facebook or YouTube. Or you can leave us a voicemail on the Anchor app. I found out that at least Heidi listens through the Anchor app. Nice. So way to go, Heidi. Leave us a voicemail. Or you can uh, leave us one directly at the church, which is 269-756-RLCC. And those messages from you really do matter to us. We, they, they're very helpful because we, we really do want to connect the reality of God to the realities of life for folks so that the things that we're experiencing become governed by the, the truth of God's word. And, and if we're doing that, that's exactly what we're talking about with taking up the shield of faith. Right. So if you're struggling with something, if there's a question that you have, uh, whether it's about a particular issue that we brought on the podcast or anything else, whatever you're dealing with, we want to be able to, to do all that we can to help you connect the reality of God to what you're going through. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you don't have to, we don't, 
if you don't want us to, we don't have to share your name or right, whatever. Yeah. It's going to be totally anonymous if yeah, you want absolutely. to send us an email or voicemail or whatever. So, yeah, so we're happy to do it. And, and, you know, it does really help us to be able to spread the word if, if you uh, interact with the podcast online, whatever your platform is. If you like, subscribe, hit notifications, uh, give us a five-star rating. Anything under a five-star rating is actually a knock against us. So if you think you're giving a good rating out of four, it's not. That's actually a knock against the... the if you're not first, you're last. That's really how it works. It's sad that it goes that way, but it, it really does. So right. five-star ratings help boost uh, the search engines for us. So. That's my Ricky Bobby quote for the day. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> we will see you next week.